Hello, it's the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you take control and take over the airwaves. It's the Sunday night edition has a special number. It's 603-435-1105. Give us a call and let us know what's on your mind tonight. With you this evening is Wayne and Michelle. And we're here on a beautiful May 1st day. And it's warm and sunny, and we're very, very much alive today. Excited. Excited. About warm and sunny, yes. Spring has arrived, Michelle. Spring has sprung. It has. And boy, I I can't tell you how good I feel when the weather gets like this. Uh All my old injury pains go away. (laughs) (laughs) That arthritis that we try to deny having. Yeah. Yeah. All those things from the cold dampness that we get. We get get a lot of rain in the spring in New England, but... But then all of a sudden May comes and everything gets really green. and The buds on the trees are amazing. It's so beautiful. This is going to be my first spring here, and I'm very excited. And by the way, I wanted to let the listeners know to call in. The number is 603-435-1105. And make sure you know your phone's calling plan so that you're not stuck with any uh, airtime charges that you might not expect. So other than that, Michelle... Because we're free, baby. Yes, we are. Everything on the on the Free Talk li- uh, website is free. Free Talk Live, yep. including the uh, Shrine of Female Listeners <laughs> and yeah. uh, the the chat rooms and the even archives, the, even the webcam. Mm-hmm. And oh, and by the way, Michelle, you know what I forgot to do for listeners is turn on the webcam. So let's do that right now, so that everybody can see us. Uh-huh. I think I think that would be a good thing, right? I guess. Yeah, I, th- I think it would be a good thing to... Okay, there we go. Now we have a webcam. Peace. Peace. Hello. <laughs> and we are basically uh, talking about a lot of things that have happened since we last met last mm-hmm. month. And of course, boy, I can't believe everything going on in the world right now with finances and... Oh. Tornadoes, over 300 people dead. You know, I lived in Nashville prior to coming here. Yes. So a year ago, we had this horrendous flood, which, you know, it actually gave me pause. Um, I saw the people of Nashville and the surrounding areas pull together in such a way and and uh, refuse FEMA help and things like that. And instead, private businesses, um, the country music stars just were incredible. The, um, the churches uh, came in and... Um, Private, so you know, private charity, and uh, cleaned that place up, and and got people restored, and and homes, and lives, and things. And I think there are about twenty people that died. There, I think last count was three hundred eighteen people have died in uh in those tornadoes down there. And and um, you know, southern people are are used to that kind of thing, and you know, it's a springtime issue that comes around every year. But you just never think that it's going to be that catastrophic. Now, were you in a lot of earthquakes in California when you lived out in the West Coast? I was in the one in 89 in the Bay Area that was so terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, it was funny. I was, I was running cross country. For, um, I went to Menlo College and, and uh, I was running in these beautiful hills in Woodside. And um, you know how you kind of just get into a zone when you're running long distance? And I was just going along. And it got really, really quiet, like eerie quiet. And um, I was like, wow, that's... Quiet, and I kept running, and then all of a sudden the ground started moving, shaking. This is how vain I am. My first thought was, I need to lose some weight. <laughs> <laughs> well, were you jiggling? No, well, I was shaking the ground. I mean, you know, because you know how thoughts just come into your head when you're just yeah. kind of in that place. And then I realized, oh no. And I um, 
I actually fell down, but then I got down by uh, uh, under kind of on the other side of a log so that any debris falling down the mountain would um, roll over me or something. And uh, so there yeah. was actually debris falling down the mountain. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the, the way the uh, pavement in the ground was looked like a wave and was buckling. The Bay Bridge collapsed. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember yes, seeing I the do. woman fall to her death. Wasn't that during the World Series at that yes. time? That was the World Series. Which earthquake. is exactly which is why not as many people died because so many people were already home mm-hmm. to you know watch that on the telly or whatever. But uh, yeah, so I've been in that one. I was in Southern California. I I was <laughs> I left Hawaii two days before Aniki, so I missed that one. Mm-hmm. I was grateful for that but um, so yeah i've, I've kind of seen all the different a friend of mine died three days ago in an avalanche in wow. sierra nevadas so i mean i've definitely you know lived in areas where there are um you're a veteran of national natural disasters <laughs> natural disasters yeah so you know it's important to have water food <laughs> blankets emergency blankets yeah you know, I was right in the middle of the Northridge quake in 94 mm-hmm. on Martin Luther King Day. Southern California. In Southern California. And I was actually working on a friend's computer in the San Fernando Valley in North Hollywood. And their apartment was on the top floor of a three-story a three uh, apartment building. Mm-hmm. So they're on the top floor. So when this earthquake started, I think I finished kind of late that night, work, getting everything done on their computer. So I just kicked my, my boots off and I, and I hopped in the, in the couch and fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't going to drive home. I was tired and everything. And the, the earthquake started at 6 something in the morning. And it was amazing because I was on the couch and I had to wedge myself in. I was being shot around the room yeah. like, like a pinball. And, and, and I you're thought, a big guy. And I, well, I wedged myself <laughs> in because as soon as I felt it happening, uh, the, the, the couch was just a little bigger than me. So I was able to kind of get my tiptoes and just kind of squeeze myself in so that I wouldn't come flying out of the couch. But this whole couch was going bam, 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 bam around the room. And I thought I was going out the window a few times, the couch and all. Wow. Because there were some big windows there. And, and by the time it all finished, I, I can't even tell you how long it was because it was just so, such a traumatic type situation. Mm. And, and everything in the apartment was destroyed. I mean, everything. Every, the, the refrigerator had unplugged itself, emptied on the floor. Everything was smashed. Everything in the kitchen cabinets, everything in the dressers and the bedrooms. I mean, everything. The computer I was just working on, basically the monitor shot across the room right over my head. I saw the thing shoot. Mm-hmm. It just unplugged itself. It just pulled out. Was that 93? 94. 94. I yeah, mean, January I of 94. I in San Diego, so I was kind of around there. But, um, you know, people don't realize that even when it lasts for a... You know, only 10 or 15 seconds, there's a lot of damage that can oh, be done in that amazing. time. Oh, amazing. And, t- yeah. and being on the top floor of the apartment building, it's, it's like the end of a whip, you know? Right. So it actually whips you around even more than if you're on, on the bottom floor. And then I looked out the window, and there, there was an, apartment, an older apartment building across the street that had collapsed on people that were inside of it. Oh, gosh. And there were transformers blowing off like Roman candles. And, of course, but people came together on their own. Yep voluntarily and helped each other absolutely and that's what i really really liked seeing was that people were very helpful and it just brought out the best in people mm-hmm. and and of course the government's response to it wasn't wasn't anything great you know mm-hmm. uh some a lot of places got condemned because they weren't safe a lot of people were so traumatized they wouldn't go back into their apartment buildings for months they would sleep oh, up in the parking lot in their cars oh wow and and of course in in the south you with the tornadoes you're going to have that too every time here somebody hears a train coming or hears something that's similar to a tornado yep. They're going to be scared. They're going to, they're going to react. They're, it's mm-hmm. post-traumatic stress syndrome, yeah. basically. Yeah. So uh, my, my thoughts and prayers go out to all those people mm-hmm. who have been traumatized or have lost loved ones or friends in this thing because mm-hmm. it, these things happen. These, these uh, natural disasters happen. They, hand, they happen quickly. 
and you can never predict uh, what's going to happen. Mount St. Helens. I was living in Oregon when Mount St. Helens blew back. <laughs> I don't know. I was, well, I must've been in grade school or something, but, um, uh, so I was by car, it was probably uh, 13 hours. So I was quite a ways away and there were a couple inches of ash on our car. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, we just, I saw uh, pictures of that. Yeah. It's, um, it's amazing what mother nature, when, you know, she goes to clean house, she, uh, the Hawaiians, you know, uh, you've probably heard this before. They call it the great, you know, God's great toilet flush, <laughs> you know, to clean out all the howlies. <laughs> <laughs> all the howlies. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because you know that word howly, but do you know its origin? No. Well, uh, the Hawaiians uh, originally couldn't believe how frail and pale the white people were who came over from England and, you know, the original... Uh, Captain Br- Cook people? Yeah, the, the European settle- settlers. Mm-hmm. They couldn't believe how frail and pale they were. Just imagine this really white-skinned, pale, skinny English man, you know, on the beach, and they're going, who's this? What's that? Right. That guy looks like he's half dead. And so Howley means he who has no breath Oh, in I have heard that, but it's been so long. Wow. Well, then I wouldn't be howling. <laughs> no, because you have plenty of breath, Michelle. We'll be right back with Free Talk Live, Sunday edition. We, we've got a little story on hoarding that I think you'll find interesting. Free Talk Live, 435-1105 with a 603 area code on the front. Yes, and you are back. I like <laughs> Go the music. Ahead. Jim, have a little air guitar, a little air Michelle. Guitar. <laughs> yeah, a little air guitar for the webcam music. This is the Sunday Fun Day edition of Free Talk Live. <laughs> Sunday Fun Day. Oh, you're so you're gonna. It's gonna be like that, huh? Well, yes, it is. I'm just gonna turn a phrase wherever I see fit. <laughs> a little dorky. Okay. It's, it was dorky, but it's all right. It's the first thing I thought of. But if you'd like to talk with us tonight, the number is 603-435-1105. Let us know what's on your mind. And if you get a chance, check out the website, freetalklive.com, where we have loads of cool free stuff for you, including the webcam, which we're on right now, and the Shrine of Female listeners, the message boards, and even shop.freetalklive.com, where you can get access to some pretty darn good prices on Amazon.com, Newegg, and other places. So keep that in mind, freetalklive.com. And Michelle, we've been talking kind of about some natural disasters, because there's been a lot going on with that in the last month. Yes. And the way communities tend to come together by themselves without all this uh, top-down centralization. People. People, I wouldn't say communities, but individuals, absolutely. Yeah, which are made up of people. But mm-hmm. yeah, but I, what I mean by that when I say communities, voluntary yes, communities rather absolutely. than <clears throat> regimented, uh, top-down force, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't work. And it just makes the situation worse for people who are traumatized and they have to leave their homes by orders. And mm-hmm. I had a situation once where I was living in, up in the hills in North Carolina. I had a home that was overlooking the city and it was up on a mountain. And there was a hurricane. I think it was Hugo. It was one of those. It was back in early 2004. Mm -hmm. And it came inland up to western North Carolina through the west coast of Florida, kind of up through there. And it it basically rained for two days straight. We had like 11 inches of rain in a short period of time, which flooded the low-lying areas Mm -hmm. around where I lived. But where I lived up on the hill, I had a neighbor two houses down whose pretty much whole yard washed down the, the hill. Oh, and he had come terrible. home. He had come home from 
uh, somewhere, probably drinking, about midnight. And he said that all of a sudden he got out of his car and six feet from his face, there were trees coming down the, down the side of the hill right by him, uh, going maybe 40 miles an hour. Wow. Just, just missed him. Wow. And he just saw, saw it go right by him. His whole life passed before his eyes. And luckily they came up and they just sold, they recommended that we evacuate, but they didn't make us do it. They just said it's recommended. We looked, I looked around and, and saw, you know, I had very good drainage in my property, the way the water was channeled from the streams we had. And I said, you know, I think we're going to be okay here. I didn't see any evidence of any kind of problem directly behind us up the hill from us or whatever. So I, I, I stayed. But uh, I can just imagine what that would have been like if they came and said, you must leave, get your stuff and leave now, um, when I really didn't have to. Right. During Hurricane Katrina, that was a big issue because there are a lot of salty dogs down there who were like, got my gun, got my gumbo, got my drink on. I'm just fine. Thank you very much. Move yep. along. And, you know, they were arrested. They mm-hmm. were forced out of their homes. The funny thing was I had just sold the house. Oh. And it was maybe four days. fortuitous. <laughs> and it was about three or four days from closing when mm. it happened. And luckily, the whole mudslide didn't get down to the road, the access road that comes up the hill mm-hmm. to get to the house. It had just missed. I mean, it just came maybe 50 yards wow. from, from getting the road and washing the road out to, to get up to the house. So the buyer of the house, of course, got freaked out when he read about it in the paper that, you know, my road had been, mm-hmm. had been affected. So he came up, wanted to see the place, had no problems, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which was good. So the closing went through. But then after closing, I got a call from the bank and they said, hey, uh, don't cash that check yet because <laughs> we just have to reinspect it now because it's a disaster area. That, that I would then go cash the check <laughs> immediately. Yeah. yeah, right. Don't deposit the check you yet. You issued that check. I'm sorry. There are no, no take backs here. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. true. But it was, it was an interesting time. But, but again, it's all about people helping each other on a voluntary consensual basis without force and threats of violence and disasters. And those always work better. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Michelle, you know, the other thing that's been happening in the last month is the price of commodities has been skyrocketing. It's absurd. Absurd. I made a dinner for, you know, the people next door here. Um, I do that on Friday nights. And um, I had promised them chili made with buffalo meat, you know, which is organic and free range and da da it was $8.99 a pound, up from $5 less than a month ago. Yeah. Now, actually, <laughs> those things aren't up. The dollar is down. And, of course, especially for things that are imported from foreign countries and that use different currencies. Mm-hmm. Well, these aren't imported, but, in fact, you know, the cost of... Inputs mm-hmm. are, are imported. Like, yeah. For example, if you're a farmer, if you're raising... Uh, some kind of of crop, right. and you've got to use petroleum products. They are they most of those do yes. come in from foreign countries, and and, yes. and your your cost of of doing business or creating your product mm-hmm. goes higher because the dollar is declining mm-hmm. because they just can't help themselves. They have to keep printing all this money. Regular gas, I think. Um, I saw one uh, at one gas station. So I was driving around today for regular four oh nine, not diesel. Yeah, it's regular. <laughs> I am so glad I have a motorcycle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad I have a four-cylinder car with a five-speed manual. Oh, there, yeah, there you go. That, that helps because mm-hmm. I'm too crazy on bikes. <laughs> I used to race, and I, I just don't like to... I've had a few close calls on bikes, too, in the past. Uh, the only spill I've ever had was in my garage. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> I My um, sons had taken out the trash. This was several years ago and, and had spilled cat litter. 
Mm-hmm. And so I, I came up a steep driveway and then had to break right away and hit that. I didn't, it was dark. I didn't know there was cat litter down there and I oh, boy. laid it down. So, so I can say that I've laid down my bike, but <laughs> that was it. I yeah. still, I still feel a, a injury I had where I was doing a motorcycle stunt once back in Hollywood and I had to drop a bike for for one take because they didn't stop traffic on the road and I was going pretty fast Ooh. rehearsing the scene and I had to jump this gully and I had to drop it so I wouldn't go in the road at that speed. And the handlebar hit me right in the front of the knee on the knee tendon. Oh, and I gosh. still feel that to this day. I, uh, so you weren't wearing Kevlar and all the. No, things. no, I wasn't. I was, I was wearing what the bad guy would wear. You know. But underneath that, didn't they let you wear, you know, chest protector and and knee pads and everything? No. <gasps> no. Oh, yeah, I would have refused. It was a mo- it was a motocross bike. It wasn't it wasn't a, a big road okay. bike or anything. It was a motocross bike. So it's you know I'm I'm used to throwing those around and everything. It wasn't mm-hmm. too bad there, but and, and it wasn't down <laughs> on the pavement. It was actually on the grass, but it, it was kind of a. It was like this this culvert, mm-hmm. and I hadn't. And what I did is I didn't I didn't take go over the driveway because I was going too fast. So I went on the grass to slow down, and I was going to jump the bike over the culvert. But then I, then I, in that split second, you think, oh boy! But then I'll still be going too fast. I'm going to the road, and so I just I just dropped it on the grass there, and it would have been fine except the handlebar whacked me, yeah. and then my knee was all swollen. And I wanted to do I wanted to do my fight scene that night. <laughs> And after dinner, so I went in my trailer and I put ice on it and I went back and did my fight scene. I, I was limping a little bit, but they didn't notice, you know, Macho I, man. I had to run. But, Chuck Norris, you. No, but yeah, Chuck, I was shooting at Chuck in that scene. That was, <laughs> That's funny. That was kind of fun. But anyway, uh, there's, there's an interesting story that came out a few weeks ago and I wanted to read it because I think that it's kind of a heads up for people, uh, you know, because this is the kind of stuff that happens when the price of oil goes up, for example. Remember a few years ago in 2008 when we had this... Uh, this spike up in oil, you, you had these people on, in the media blaming speculators for it. Right. It's it was, always the Wall Street. We want to blame Wall Street. You want to blame Wall Street. You want to, and sometimes Wall Street's to blame. But the, but the point is, is that uh, you know most of the, most of the the blame gets offloaded to other people mm-hmm. when they're really just watering down the money. You know, yes. And the problem is really the watering down of the money, and so they want to offload the blame to everybody except themselves. And, and speculators are just taking advantage of, of these of these uh, money printers. Mm-hmm. That's why they're making money. So we'll get back to that in a little bit. It's Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live. We'll be right back and we'll talk about gorilla hoarding. Welcome back. This is the free Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, the show where you call in and take control. Let us know what's on your mind. The number tonight is 603-435-1105, and that it would be a toll call if you don't have the right calling plan, so know what your calling plan is. With you this evening is Wayne. And Michelle. And Michelle and I were talking about the markets and how the prices of things seem to be going up, but really is the dollar being watered down. And these money printers are totally insane. And, of course, they're going to drive the price of everything up, including oil, which is an input for food, for a lot of things that we do, and and, and traveling to work, and so on. And, of course, in the media, in in the lamestream media, they try to offload the blame from the politicians and bureaucrats and central bankers to uh, people who um, speculate in the markets because they see this going on, and, and they naturally want to capitalize on it. And, of course, the other thing we should expect, which has happened in the past, is talk about hoarding, how people might have a little extra food around because they see the price going up, 
They might have some silver. Let's define hoarding because having a, you know, my grandparents, when you say a little extra food and some cash stash, they would call that being prudent. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, well, funny, Michelle, there was a really good article on Mises.org last month, Mises Daily by Wendy McElroy. And she did a story called Gorilla Hoarding, which you can look up at your leisure. I don't know if you saw the story. Uh, basically, she says the headline scream is this baby in danger due to hoarding grandma, the horrors of hoarding and animal hoarding often tied to mental illness. <laughs> Meanwhile, a popular TV series entitled Hoarders focuses upon people whose inability to part with their belongings is so far out of control that they are on the verge of a personal crisis like drug addicts. They require an intervention. Huh? I wonder by who. The vilification of hoarders as mentally ill, child-endangering animal abusers is in full swing. What uh, is this? What the is last this? episode of House was actually on that very thing. Yeah. So, so here at you know a mainstream television, popular television show, and the and the hoarder was. I mean, she she was definitely. Um, unwell you know she had some unresolved issues and, and some so, people do yeah and i mean like so there were like animals living in the apartment as well and etc and uh and so that's fine but if people want to be able to do that and you want to live with you know animal excrement in your home hey that's your business it's not my business yeah and if you're renting a house and if your landlord isn't smart enough to put something like in the lease that might prohibit you from doing so then that's mm-hmm. their that's their own fault mm-hmm. but you know, what is this vile and dangerous thing called hoarding? The noun hoard is defined as a store of money or valued objects, typically one that is secret or carefully guarded. The verb means to save up as for future use. That was called capital. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, before before debt came along and replaced savings as a means of of investing in your future, you know, mm-hmm. entrepreneurial businesses so that you might grow your family's wealth, that was called savings, capital. And now we're calling it hoarding. Yeah, and in common usage, anyone who stores more of a good than their neighbors do is often viewed as a hoarder. That's how it's being used or expanded now to kind of discourage people because... They change the meanings of words. Well, you know, John Maynard Keynes, who's... Uh, economic theories have pervaded us for decades now basically didn't believe in savings he he wanted to get everybody to spend, spend all their spend, money spend, 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 spend all their money right. and borrow and spend spend to keep the economy going where, there's a new video out did you see uh, i heard i haven't yeah, seen yeah, it yeah, yet but it. aren't great. those fabulous i love them but that again we're talking th- about the Keynes hayek uh uh videos that you can find on youtube they're absolutely fantastic way the rap videos yes that, very uh, educational yes elucidate explain the difference the, yeah the difference between um uh, free market economics versus keynesian economics and knowing that in colleges most colleges are teaching primarily keynesian economic theory mm-hmm. and maybe they'll throw they'll sprinkle a little bit of monetarist milton friedman Maybe they'll just talk about supply side a little bit, but they're basically all engaged in central planning and fiat money and all that. It's kind of like the controlled opposition of economics in a way. Right. When you think about it, compared to the Austrian school, which is completely devoid of a lot of those fallacies that are in, in the others. For example, in Austrian school, they believe in hard money. Mm-hmm. They believe in, in uh, investment and savings mm-hmm. instead of uh, borrowing and spending yep. uh, for long-term stability rather than short-term blips. And, of course, those things in, in the Keynesian um, theory cause a lot more instability. They cause bigger uh, peaks and valleys in the economy. So in the long run, if you look at the 
the economic numbers over the last 100 years or so, you see when they started really Keynesianizing everything, that there, we've had you bigger see spikes swings. and dips. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's when we had the Great Depression was mm-hmm. 20 years after getting a central bank. Well, I can't imagine, I, you know, if people are not concerned about their finances and the stability of being able to go to a grocery store and get food over the next couple of years, you really ought to be. Mm-hmm. Because when um, I've been trading in the market, I guess, for the last 10 years or something like that, and whether it's technical or um uh, technical trading, which I'm a technical trader or a fundamental trader who, you know, tends to look at uh, situations and things like that to establish their forecasting or whatever. But um, in any event, there is absolutely no rhyme or reason as to why the market should not be down. Every indicator, the the bubble that has been created with debt and the fact that, you know, money is being borrowed, that, that, that countries are dumping the dollar, that unemployment is up, that foreclosures are up, that new starts on homes are down. Food stamp usage is way up. All of that ought, I mean, you know, if, if, you, if that was a body, if that was a human body, and we're going, okay, you got cancer of the brain, your heart's not working, your lungs have collapsed. I mean, that's how serious it is. You would expect the person to be you know, falling down dead, not running the Boston Marathon. I've got three words for you, Michelle. Hmm. Plunge protection team. Yes. And because (laughs) it's been proven and even they've even admitted it in so many words that the the Fed and the Treasury have been pumping money into the stock market to keep it up. And you'll see sometimes, you'll see the market take a big hit one day. And then all of a sudden, about an hour before the end of the day, you'll see this huge blip because what they've done is they've gone into the pits and they've bid up the stocks at any price. And And considering I'm short the market, I'm not pleased. (laughs) Sure, sure. (laughs) That they're doing that. But whenever whenever they pump a lot of money into the market, the question is, where is it going to go first? Mm -hmm. And of course, one of the places, think about the most politically connected people in our society. And it's probably one of the most is Wall Street, Mm -hmm. military industrial complex. That's where a lot of the funny money goes first. And Mm -hmm. then eventually, theoretically, it finds Main Street, but that's not happening anymore because the two, the Main Street and Wall Street have been been kind of separating for a long time. Now, at one time, Wall Street uh, served Main Street to a point because it was was, uh, there just as a ancillary industry to help facilitate trade. But when when most of the economy is the financial economy and the manufacturing economy is shrinking and they're just pushing paper around, you know, mm-hmm. you know that it, it's not going to last. It's it's unsustainable because there's nothing of value being created. So so take this back for us to the hoarding issue because we kind of got sidetracked. Sure. And, and I think that's Keynesianism. really important. Mm-hmm. Well, it is. And I, but I think Keynesianism is an important thing to bring up when you're talking about this. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yes. But she, uh, she, I'm just saying, tie it together, baby. Yes. Well, a common example of hoarding, according to this article, is stocking up on durable grocery items such as canned goods, rice, or pasta when they're on sale, so that your family has a year's supply of staples in the house. In rural areas, this is known as keeping a good pantry. Mm-hmm. Historically, governments have frowned upon hoarding, especially in bad economic times, stigmatizing the hoarder for causing high prices or shortages because he buys more than his share. Serves as, as a, a useful political purpose. Mm. They divert attention away from government policies such as tariffs that are the true cause of empty shelves and high prices in many cases by stirring up resentment toward neighbors who own one more can of peas than you do. Politicians avoid the full and just brunt of, of public anger. In times of economic crisis, when governments flirt with rationing and price controls, the frown can turn into a scowl. Laws against hoarding are then passed and goods are sometimes confiscated. 
The most notorious confiscation in America came in 1933 when President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed Executive Order 6102, ostensibly as a measure to combat the Great Depression. The order commanded the American people, with a few exceptions, to relinquish all but a, a still permitted $100 worth of gold coins, bullion, certificates. Lincoln did the same thing, confiscated the gold as well. Yes, so we'll be right back and we'll talk more about this hoarding thing because it's sure to come up in the near future the way things are going. Free Talk Live, Sunday edition. 435-1105 with a 603. It's Sunday night, and this is the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you call in and take control and let us know what's on your mind. And with you this evening is Wayne and Michelle. And you can reach us at 603-435-1105. And that's the Sunday night edition phone number. And we actually have a call, Michelle. So let's see who this is. Hi, you're on Free Talk Live. Who's this? Uh, This is Jason. Yes. Hi, Jason. Where are you calling from? Uh, Hawaii. Hawaii. Oh, I'm a little jealous. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Yeah. Good. What, what so would you like what, to talk about tonight? Three o'clock over well, there right now? Or I'm to, sorry? Is it, what, two or three o'clock in the afternoon right now? It's just almost two. Yeah, mm-hmm. you guys had your uh, daylight savings. We don't, we don't do that. Right. So uh, it gets a little confusing sometimes. Do you know, I don't know if you know this, but both Michelle and I have lived in Hawaii before. Well, that's why I called today, because uh, I wanted to talk to you about that. And you know, Michelle and I were actually there at the same time, <laughs> and we didn't no even way. know it. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, it's a miracle I'm sure Wayne served up. me drinks or threw me out of his bar, but, you know. <laughs> what island did you guys live on? Oahu? Um, yeah, and I lived, on, I lived on Oahu for a few months, so I'm mostly from Kauai. Oh, yeah, I'm on the north shore of Kauai. Oh, nice. Out in Hanalei? Uh, actually, in the Princeville Agricultural District. I moved here to... Uh, start a botanical garden business with my folks. Oh, right on. That's a beautiful area. That yeah, is awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, I've, I've signed up for this free state project. Uh, before I moved here, I moved here from Portland. Mm-hmm. Portland, and, Oregon? Uh, yeah. I live there, too. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I've heard you, you know, over the years. I'm like, oh, she lives all over where I live. <laughs> so what, what's going on, Jason? Well, you know, I was just driving down, run my errands today, and I'm driving down the highway, and I stop at a sovereignty booth to buy some hooli hooli chicken from them and see what's up with it. Um, are you guys much familiar with, like, the Hawaiian sovereignty movement here? I've heard about it, yes. Well, I, apparently, I can become, apparently, because since 1999, you can now become a uh, citizen of the uh, sovereign Hawaiian nation. And, uh, you know, separate identification, separate license plates, and, uh, and they've got an election coming up this November. And, um, you know, I, I'm living here, and I'm, you know, I listen to you guys a lot and, and follow all sorts of liberty media, and it's just kind of frustrating being here in Hawaii and seeing this amazing land that could be completely self-sufficient that was totally stolen from them, but then seeing these locals who... who you know, they, they, they want that independence, and yet at the same time, because of kind of the history of their interaction with the government, are now extremely dependent on the state, and you have a huge portion of, you know, the state and uh, local officials or kind of there's an informal kind of, you know, you, you hire uh, locals or kind of Hawaiian blood people. And, um, and so I just, I'm like frustrated watching these people who want independence and, uh, and sovereignty and, and, you know, freedom from, you know, a land that was stolen from them, and yet 
they keep turning back to the state for the for the help. I'm just so surprised there's not more civil disobedience. And and I don't know. What do you guys think? Should I? Oh, well, there's I a lot of poco loco. <laughs> you know? Yeah, poco lolo. Poco lolo yeah. definitely makes people uh, inactive. Loco. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I call it because it, you know, I mean, it, whatever. But you know, I have cousins that are Hawaiian and they live um up in Sleeping Giant area above Cocoa Palms. Yeah, and, of course, um, yeah. And so, you know, I would I would get from them their perspective on the whole sovereignty movement and everything. And and um, I think I absolutely agree with you that there are these complaints, but then there doesn't seem to be the backbone. The principles. To the principles. The principles of exactly. liberty have to, yeah, have to really pervade there. And, and it's one thing to want to be independent, want to be sovereign. But if you don't allow yeah, others to be sovereign. Yeah, my 15-year-old wants to, be, wants to be independent and sovereign, but he still wants me to go out and buy him shoes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like here. Yeah, we, we want the independence. We don't want them letting in corporations destroying our local businesses. But uh, we need them to educate our children. And, and but like uh, you know, Cnate Sugar and um, and Dole Pineapple and all these you know big agricultural uh, businesses that were over there have what the sugar has gone to. Uh, oh, yeah. Philippines, the sugar, Brazil, the, sugar cane, and the pineapple. In fact, on Kauai here, there's a starting a movement. Uh, our and our family grows, and we're starting to grow a chocolate, uh, cacao trees. And chocolate mm-hmm. is actually could be a possible good kind of economic alternative to those crops because the gourmet chocolate industry yes. nowadays kind of sustains those labor prices by selling gourmet bars at a premium. And not only that, but I've gone to websites where they'll sell raw chocolate nibs with nothing added, uh, and, and those yeah, go for yeah, pretty I good money, too. Yeah, I an hour chocolate tasting as part of our botanical tour. We, uh, we are, my family manufactures our own chocolate here. That's awesome. Do you have a website? I do. Uh, it is, it's a tricky one. I'm, I'm working on upgrading it right now, and so, uh, and so uh, it's Aho Nui, that's A-H-O-N-U-I, BotanicalGardens.com. If you ever come to Hawaii, uh, I'm going to yeah, come look you up. up. Yeah, if we're ever down there, I'd love to look you up. I, I miss it. I lived there for five and a half years during the '80s, and 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 my heart is still there. Well, so what do you guys think? I mean, I'm looking at this literature from the sovereignty movement, and I guess coming up in the fall, there's two bills that can that that are that are possible to be voted on, and one. That's a confusing thing with the sovereignty movement here. There's like four or five different factions. And some go through, you know, the actual federal government, and then some are more, you know, independent-minded. But there's two bills coming up, I guess. And one is going to, like, instate the, the sovereign government but require every official and everything about it to follow state and federal laws. And then there is... A separate bill that uh, emphasizes, you know, the uh, independence of the people of the of the Hawaiian nation. Isn't that the whole point, though? I mean, if you, if they're st- if they're following all the state and federal laws, why bother? <laughs> then you're not really sovereign. You're just uh, right, you're, you're a right. poodle. Well, and then that, but, but then they say there's this alternative bill that they're trying to promote that is like the exact opposite. And yet, in my mind, it's like, well, it's still a bill. You you guys are trying to get people to vote on. Yeah, but well, that, that's, that's a good the point. Thing also, is you know. I don't know if you've heard when, when Ian and Mark and I are on, I don't exactly know Wayne's position on this, but I don't vote. I don't get involved in that process. You know, I've been trying to promote liberty for 30 years. So yeah, did I ever... I, I decided to stop voting as well. Yeah, yeah um, I, for me, it's I'm a moral issue. I'm becoming a member of the, 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 the sovereign Hawaiian nation. These people tell me that 
I'll have a driver's license. Cops won't bother you here if you if you're uh, if you're a member of the sovereign. Oh, nation. isn't that nice that they're going to allow you to have your very own driver's license? Yes, with your, with your picture on special. it, your mugshot. Yeah, I don't think that you can ask if you have to ask the state for permission to be sovereign. Then you are not free. Yeah, yeah. So that's my. But you know what? <laughs> to answer your question, Michelle, I I vote at times, but I I usually vote locally and strategically. But uh, the the big elections, the ones where the the, the big crooks run in, those I just kind of laugh at, and and I, I'm registered independent or unaffiliated or whatever, you know. And, and even like, when, Carla, when I go, I wash my hands after. Carla posted something um, on on Facebook today about uh, about the the amendment here in new hampshire and i know you know ian gets really excited about what's going on here in new hampshire with the legislative process and and i can understand it i just i just think it's a trick and so yeah, he kind of did a 180 on that in the last few years <laughs> <laughs> I, i've heard that <laughs> but i i think that you know it's you get optimistic because you know 50 libertarian people were voted into office 12 free staters i mean that's yeah. un- unimaginable and then you know we've got a we've got all these um Bills one, which would essentially make it illegal for TSA to do body cavity searches or you know body searches as well as a scanner. Another one would decriminalize marijuana, et cetera, et cetera. And so you hear about this and you're like, oh my gosh, finally! And so I can understand, you know, you start seeing that forward momentum, and then boom, they just pull the rug right out from underneath you because they add things in and it becomes a cost benefit analysis with relativistic thinking where these you know people. Uh, in the house are going, well, okay, I'll give you this, but I want this. And so they compromise and then, and, and they report back to you and say, well, yes, that's just the way it's done. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I think what that takes is it just takes even a more overwhelming majority of libertarians in order to say, no, we're not doing that. That's not Small the way we do L, it anymore. Not capital yes, L. Correct. You know, not the libertarian party, but just liberty people who are just willing to stand up and say, Cause no. It, yeah, because if you have the votes, it doesn't matter what they say you have to do. You know, the other party can say, yeah, you have to do this and you have to compromise. No, we have the votes. We can get this through just the way it is. But you have to kind of play the hard line sometimes and say, mm-hmm. that's not acceptable. That's mm-hmm. totally unacceptable. And that's why the people are ticked off at, at, at politicians because they do this stuff all the time. So yeah. you have to do things in a principled way, I believe. And I think there's got to be yeah. more stiff-backed people in there, principled people who say no to this stuff. On, you know, on the other hand... You know, you also have to have something, you have to realize that we've got to eradicate the state, but there are going to be some holes there where the free market is going to be able to come in and fill those holes. And um, that's something to think about as well. We're coming on a break. So thanks so much for calling. It was great hearing from you. We hope to hear from you again. This is the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, and we'll be right back. You know the Constitution like the back of your hand. You've read books, listened to podcasts, attended lectures, surfed websites, and watched videos. You've made liberty your life's goal. But something seems to be missing. Stickers from LibertyStickers.com. Exercise your freedom of speech with the world's most dangerous bumper stickers. That's LibertyStickers.com. But wait... 
There's more. You can buy Liberty Snickers wholesale. Get them for 99 cents each when you put 100 or more in your shopping cart in any combination. Sell them or give them away. They're great for gun shows, flea markets, fairs, outreach, and more. Earn extra money, promote freedom, and spread the word. Need custom stickers, labels, or decals for your organization or business? Liberty Stickers makes them. Go to libertystickers.com to order or call 877-873-9626. Libertystickers.com, the world's most dangerous stickers. Welcome back to the second hour of the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, the show where you call in and take control. The number to reach us is 603-435-1105. That's the Sunday night edition number. And with you this evening is Wayne. And Michelle. And Wayne and Michelle, that's right. And Michelle is just her boisterous self tonight, as usual. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's all, you, you can't miss Michelle walking into a room, that's for sure. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say uh-oh. I just, okay. I just mean that, that you know, you're pretty hard to miss because you're one of those high-energy people that uh, we all appreciate. I'm loud. I got a big mouth, big red hair. I know. I know. But I wouldn't consider that a liability. Look at Lucille Ball. <laughs> <laughs> she got pretty rich being that way. Yes, she did. She did. But we had a nice call from a fellow in Hawaii. and Jason, uh, whose family owns botanical gardens. Yeah. And they're growing chocolate, and which I think is great. You know, they're, they're entrepreneurs. They're trying to look for unmet needs in the marketplace, and they've got the land and the facilities to to meet that need. And and it's something that they can sell not only locally but also internationally. They can export if they want to, because chocolate is always in big demand, especially well, the way you package it. And he was so sweet to say, "Oh well, y'all, if you come over here, you know, come on, look us up." He doesn't realize I'm going to go take him up on that. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate, botanical gardens on the North Shore of Kauai. That's, you know, kind of like my fantasy haven there. Oh, me too. Me too. I spent some many, many warm, wonderful nights over in Kauai. Uh, my brother and I used to a lot of times rent condos in Maui and Kauai, and we'd go there on the weekend to get away because we worked pretty hard during the week on Oahu. And uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed that place. I felt like I was in heaven. I felt like, you know, there were, you probably remember this, Michelle, is you just, you look around sometimes and you just think, wow, life just it couldn't get any better than this. It's just it's amazing. You know, I was there at different times in my life. I went over there initially right after I turned 18 and, and it was the mid eighties and I was wild. But um, the one thing, you know, we started talking about, um, we'd been talking about hoarding. The one thing when you would get off the plane on Kauai and you'd go through Lahui as if you were going, you know, toward Poipu and all that, um, the sugar factory. It was this dense, sticky, heavy, almost nauseatingly sweet smell that just permeated your pores and everything. And, um, and it's gone. It's gone. Sugar factory is, is no longer there. Obsolete. When I lived there, Michelle, I had a friend who I worked with in, in the restaurant business back east here. And he was so funny. He, he comes over. He says, the first thing he says when he gets off the plane is, I want to go see a pineapple tree. <laughs> Take me to a pineapple tree. I said, Russell, pineapples grow on the ground, yeah. not the vine. They don't grow on trees. I want to see one. Oh. Did he think, maybe, was he thinking of coconuts, maybe? Or he really... I don't know. He, he was clueless, but. Didn't realize that it's like a watermelon. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, I had mango trees in my backyard, so mm-hmm. I could go out in the morning and just pick a mango mm-hmm. off the tree. 
and and usually there were two really ripe ones every day. Mm. And of course, that's a great breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we had avocado trees. We had tangelos growing right there. Just pick them ripe right off the vine. Hey, if if it were not for the Free State Project, I would be really tempted to go there. How? Except that's not true. Um, I told you, I mentioned that a friend of mine died on Tuesday. Yes. Kip Gar was from Hancock, New Hampshire, and he was called by ESPN the most interesting man in the world. That's Mm. quite an accolade. Yes. He was the premier backcountry skier in the world, 38, and I met him years ago when I lived in the Squaw Valley. Yeah, backcountry skiing would be interesting because it's it's sort of a, it's a real adventure because you really don't know what you're going to hit sometimes when you're out there. Right. And he's done it on, you know, five continents and, you know, whatever. And, and um, the most humble guy, you'd never know. I knew him because he used to tune my skis. That's how I met him. I had no idea. I thought he was like some, you know, ski bum. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. And he's just a very sweet, humble person. But I mentioned him because uh, we're always talking about, you know, the Free State Project and moving here to New Hampshire. Even before the Free State Project, I was interested in New Hampshire as a place that I would, you know, someday land for a while. You know, Emerson Throw and and just the New England, you know, kind of intellectual environment that's very self-sufficient, self-reliant and, you know, and prote- uh, protects property rights and things, right? Well, um, he really embodied the the best of the qualities and traits that, that one would imagine one would imagine uh, New Hampshire, New Hampshire, you know, Granite Staters to have. And um, so, you know, in, in thinking about his passing and everything and, and how he, you know, really influenced me or affected me because, you know, he, people will tell you that he did everywhere he went and he was everyone's friend and, and really a neat guy. But, um, you know, this area is just so unique and special. I've lived, as Jason said, I've lived all over the United States. I've lived in a couple of countries and it is so special here in that people are very much interested in protecting their property. Everyone has a garden and grows food. Everyone is, you know, interested in protecting their property and being um, helpful within their community. And, um, and volunteerism so, is naturally part of it. And, and even the town meeting culture here, you with know, the selectmen and things with the selectmen. Yeah. And, and for example, in the town I live in, we have selectmen, but we have a town meeting and all the big, Ticket items have to be voted on mm-hmm. by two thirds uh, of the people in the town at the town meeting. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about that is, is that you can get up if you're against something, you can get up and you can persuade people because there's a lot of people who come there that really aren't maybe not quite sure how they want to vote, mm-hmm. and you can sway their vote just by a persuasive argument. Right. So you have a lot of, of influence over over what money gets spent and how things are run. Mm-hmm. Even though, even if you even if you uh, don't believe in government, you know, at the at the local level. Um, at least it's more functional because it is it is controlled by the people. Now it is, of course, still a majority majority rule, which can be a problem when they want to build some four million dollar building somewhere in the middle of nowhere in a town of a thousand people. But but at least you have a little bit more pull and sway in those situations. And I do enjoy watching the whole sausage making process happen. And in the town that I live in, we're, we pretty much squash any kind of major stuff all the time because the people in, in my town are it's more of a blue collar town and people are really uh liberty oriented overall mm-hmm. i was i'm very surprised and very pleasantly surprised at how liberty oriented my people in my town are well you know we, we always talk about you know move here because of the free state there is a reason that new hampshire was chosen mm-hmm. 
you know, so, so as much as I, you know, love Hawaii and the weather and surfing and living in a bathing suit with the, you know, mm-hmm. just and shorts and yeah. sandals. And, but you know, Michelle, I've thought about that too. And I think eventually I, I, I love it here and I have, I always want to have a home here, but I think eventually I, I'd like to have a winter home for maybe three or four months. I do believe I'll be going on an extended vacation yeah. next year. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's a, in the long Six term what I'd like to do. It's a long winter. Yeah, it's a long winter. Yeah. And, I, and I don't ski. I don't know about you, but I, I don't ski or I snowboard. Do ski. Now, my son does, my, my wife and, and my daughter ski, mm-hmm. but uh, I prefer uh, not to uh, end up, uh, you know, in the ambulance, the, what they call the meat wagon, because I like to go fast. And, and I, really, I'm a speed freak at heart. Uh-huh. And I know myself well enough to know I'm not doing that because I know where I'm going to end up. So I don't do it, but I like to be active in the winter. And January and February are rough months for me here. So what are you, are you content to snowshoe? <laughs> well, yeah, I'd snowshoe or cross-country ski. I thought yeah. about maybe getting a pair of cross-country skis and doing it. But you know what? I don't even like being cold. Oh, really? You know, I just, I go out and shovel snow. And I, uh, thing, you know, do you have a wood stove? What's that? Do you have a wood stove? I have a pellet stove. Okay. So, so indoors is fine. I'm yeah. talking about going outside <laughs> and, and having to do all that crap outside, which, you know, I, I just want to be warm and comfortable. I've done the whole winter thing. I grew up in New England, you know. I don't know. Oh, you grew up in Connecticut, didn't you? I grew up in Connecticut. We had a lot, lot more snow back in the old days than they do now. But this, this, this winter, actually, they had a lot of snow in Connecticut. I was surprised mm-hmm. as I go there down there. There was snow in all 50 states this year. Yeah, including well, Hawaii always has it up in, right. the, in the mountains. Mauna Kea. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mauna Kea, which is the elevation sign up to get snow. But my point is, is that even if you come to New Hampshire and you say, well, I don't like the cold, which I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I left Connecticut after, right after college to move to Hawaii to get out of the cold because I hated winter. But you know, the, winter, the winter does go by fast. But, you know, I think down the road, I'm always going to have a place here because I love it here. I love the culture of liberty. But I think eventually I will be a snowbird and, and find a place that I can spend the winter and and stay warm, sunny for a while, and then come back right around now, <laughs> April or May. Right. <laughs> but when we get back, we're going to talk more about hoarding, and we'll talk about FDR's executive order to confiscate Americans' gold. Uh-huh. Of course, a lot of people didn't obey that, but that happened back then in 1933. And give us a call if you get a chance. The number is 603-435-1105. We'd love to hear from you. Free Talk Live Sunday Edition. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you call in and let us know what's on your mind, and hopefully it's something that we like, but if it isn't, we'll talk with you about it anyway. With you this evening is Wayne. And Michelle. And Michelle and Wayne, and we were talking about <laughs> lots of things, actually. We've been kind of freeform speaking about Does different subjects. Does that bother subjects. you? Does that bother you that we don't stick on a subject? No, it doesn't actually. Okay, no, it doesn't. Because I can focus. I can rein in that ADD if you want me to. I I don't know if I really have ADD. Well, you know, (laughs) I I think it's good to keep sort of a thread, you know, going if you can, and and keep, you know, just like you have a spine, you keep keep a thread of of some kind of. um, um, consistency there and what you're trying to get across. Liberty, but, baby. Liberty, yes, exactly. And and of course, we have we had a story we were reading from Mises.org from about a month ago by Wendy McElroy about hoarding. It was entitled Guerrilla Hoarding. And I want to get back to that a little bit, Michelle, because it's important to see this coming because it could happen with what's going on with commodity prices and with, with uh, food prices going up and oil and all this. Of course, you're going to see the pundits on TV start to attack speculators and hoarders 
because, you know, they weren't smart enough to stock up on canned beans. And so they're jealous of their neighbor who's got 10 cans or a couple cases of them in their house. And they, and, and so, you know, it, it brings us back, of course, or the article brings us back to when FDR signed Executive Order 6102, ostensibly as a measure to combat the Great Depression. The order commanded the American people, with a few exceptions, to, to relinquish all but a still-permitted $100 worth of gold coins, bullion, and certificates to the Federal Reserve in exchange for a payment of $20.67 per troy ounce. Less than a year later, the government raised the trade rate to $35 per troy ounce. Thus, the government reaped huge profits at the expense of private investors and savers, a.k.a. hoarders of gold. Hoarding, like any other human activity, can become obsessive, sure. But in this common form, hoarding is nothing more than preparing for the future by laying aside a store of items that you and your family may need. This is an especially valuable practice during economic instability when necessary supplies can become scarce or suddenly double in price. So what do you think about that, Michelle? Well, you're mentioning FDR. Um, there was also the Confiscation Act of Abraham Lincoln during after the Civil War um, where it was made illegal to own gold and, and everything. And, and um, you know, it's just kind of to segue a little bit, my... Uh, Older son Omar and I were talking um, last night, actually, because he's he's read a book for school that has to do with them. Um, all of a sudden, like my brain just derailed. I can't remember the name of the author. I, it'll come back to me. But in any case, he's a bit of a socialist and, and who uh, who, you know, pits the haves against the have nots or, the you know, the have nots against the haves or whatever. But he makes some very valid points. And um, so Omar and I were kind of going round and round because he would call himself maybe a, a minarchist and say, you know, there are idiots out there that need to be controlled <laughs> kind of mm. thing, you know, but he's 17. What does he know? Um, and we were talking about those, what, what, an, uh, what the elite is, you know, and, and I basically said, well, it's come to be the people that control the resources, you know? And sure. so sadly, the government is not able to compete in anything other than force. And it dominates in that area. So it, um, the fact that, that uh, I'm not surprised that, that the gold would be confiscated. Um, and and although, although it is the people's property, their individual property. So but I'm not, even I'm not surprised, though, that the government would come in and take your property. Are you surprised at that? No, because they have a monopoly on force. And, right. and, and sometimes if they can get enough of the mob to approve of it by demonizing the people that might have it, then they can do that. Right, which goes back to the hoarders, and instead of you know at what like back in the you know after the right after the depression, those would be called savers, prudent, shrewd savers, as opposed to stingy hoarders. You know, and words mean things. You know, you hear the phrase "the filthy rich." I don't think there's anything filthy about being rich. <laughs> it, you know, there might be filthy something filthy about how you came by your money. Exactly. It, it's it's actually how you earn your money. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with somebody becoming a billionaire. I mean, look at someone like Steve Jobs. This guy has innovated. This guy has created value and created jobs for people, yeah, literally. And, and you know, every, every penny that he's made, whether you agree with him or not, you don't have to buy his products. But every penny he's made, they've earned. They've produced something of value that people want to buy. The people stand in line to buy. That's 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 justly earned wealth. Yes. Now, somebody who's politically connected uses government laws to mandate that people buy something or 
um, eliminate competition and make a lot of money that way. I or no like res- with Cuba, they have these embargoes that forbid us to trade, uh, you know, with countries and nations, et cetera. And, um, you know, free market might booty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that's because we don't really live in a free market. I mean, we have mostly cartels controlling our economy. We have for some time. And that's the real fallacy when the Republicans talk about free markets. They're talking about free markets for their buddies running the cartels. And and I guess the whole word capitalism has been so tainted, especially in recent years now with, with this economic collapse, that that um, really I like to refer to it more as decentralized free enterprise. I think that's what we have to get back to. That's a real free market when anybody can compete with anybody and you don't have laws in your way that prevent you from getting into an industry if the mar- primary market player is charging too high a price or, or um, abusing their customers in some way. Mm-hmm. And as much as somebody might not like Walmart, no one's forcing you to shop there. Correct. But I am forced to shop with, with my local state or local government for certain services. Utilities. Utilities mm-hmm. that, that are mandated, exactly. So that can be a big problem. So actually, uh, this article goes on to talk about the Austrian investment counselor, Jack Pugsley. Have you heard of him? No. Well, he once explained another alternative perspective on hoarding. It's an investment. A low-income family may not be able to afford precious metals, but they can afford to invest in dry or canned consumables. Last year, with some frequency, my grocery store sold a 900-gram package of pasta for 99 cents. With wheat shortages and with the American government diverting almost 30% of corn crop into producing ethanol, food products dependent on grain have skyrocketed. That same package of pasta now regularly costs about two ninety nine. If a struggling family bought 60 packages at 99-cent pasta for future consumption of one, uh, one package a week, then their hoarding would have knocked perhaps $100 off their grocery bill. Mm-hmm. By consistently buying more than they immediately need of bargain items, the family can build a solid pantry to sustain them through unemployment, inflation, or scarcity, which, again, is prudent. It's not about hoarding. Absolutely. Now, there, there are people who are unhealthy hoarders that, that do things because they're mentally ill, and, and that is true. But to equate... Okay, so pray for them, help them, support them, you know, have an intervention with the family. But that's no reason for the state to intervene. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Make it illegal. But but again, you know, there are a lot of people out there who have gotten so into these reality show type situations where they think that that something like that is is pervasive when it really isn't. You know, you might have one old lady in your town that's got magazines and newspapers stacked up four or five feet high and her floorboards of her house are sagging and and, and she's (laughs) saved every last nickel she's ever owned. You know, it could be a man, of course, too, Michelle. I don't want to discriminate, but because I've seen people like that. But, you know, prudent people should not be labeled as hoarders. That's all I'm saying. Right. It's important to use proper vernacular and, uh, and definitions for words so that we can maintain the integrity of our language and, and not be used. So we'll be right back and we'll ra- wrap up the story on hoarders. This is the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live. Give us a call. Let us know what your opinion is or maybe even an unrelated type subject, 603-435. Welcome back. We are in the middle of the second hour of the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you take control and let us know what's on your mind. Take control of the airwaves at 603-435-1105. 
With you this evening is Wayne. And Michelle. And Michelle, we have another caller. So let's say hello. Hello, caller. It's Wayne and Michelle, Free Talk Live. What's on your mind tonight? And who is this, by the way? This is Michael from Connecticut. Hi, Michael. I'm wow, from, I did it. I'm, I'm from Connecticut, too, by the way. <laughs> you did it! Yay! Is this your first I time calling? Yay! <laughs> is it your first time? Sorry, but beer is kicking in, so bear with me. You might want to turn down your radio. Do you have your radio oh, in sure. front of you? I mean, you know, or your, your computer or whatever, because yeah. there's a bit of a delay. It's going to confuse you. Oh, sure. Hold on. Michael from Connecticut. I was just down in Connecticut last oh. week. and so, so what part of Connecticut are you in, by the way? Uh, Madison. Madison. I know it well. I, yes, I have... we had our, um, you probably know our police. You probably heard about our police force pretty well. I, I've, I've heard some things. Yes, I have. Yes. I used to shop sometimes up at Roberts, which was up in North Madison. They're off Route 80. Yeah. So, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm in downtown, so. Yeah, I lived in Killingworth, but I was very close to North Madison. And, of course, I grew up in Connecticut and left there after college for greener, sunnier pastures, but still go there a lot, have family there, have friends there. And, and um, you know, it's all right, but I would never move back there. I, sh- I shouldn't say never, Michelle. Then I'll, I'll, I'll have some insanely great job offer and right. I'll, I'll be forced to choose there. But but uh, what's on your mind tonight? What, what would you like to talk about? Oh, a lot of things. But um, I thought I'd talk about, um, oh, man, wait. Walking to the beer. Hold on. <laughs> it's, sun, it's Sunday evening. It's May 1st, and the weather is beautiful, so you're it is. chilling with the beer. Um, oh, yes. Um, I thought I'd talk about um, the whole the whole voting thing. I called in like a week, about a week ago and, and uh, told, about, told Ian about uh, talking about retire, retiring from the LP. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, the uh, Libertarian Party, of course, is, of course, a uh, complete and utter failure. Yes, it is. As it, as it is now, anyway. And, um, I mean, and you have Ron Paul, you have Gary Johnson, which are nice, but, you know, it but, just doesn't quite cut the Well, uh, they're Republicans. The but, you know, yeah, I, I, look at the, I look at the Libertarian Party kind of like the Communist Party in the sense that yeah. it's kind of like the minor league team for the Democrat or Republican Party, in a sense. For example, I think the Democratic Party is highly influenced by, by communists, just like I think the Republican Party is becoming increasingly influenced by libertarians. So yeah. in, the, in that way, it does cultivate certain things, and I think it's a more pure, it can be a more pure type ideology, let's say. Although the Republican or the Libertarian Party now with some of the people that, are, that ran last time, I would even question that. But I think it's probably oh, yeah. time to fold the whole tent up there and start over. Yeah. Start over? Yeah, I mean, you mean? Ha- oh, let's. This was a failed proposition. Let's do it again, like good, that. Good point, Michelle. Yeah. I, I definitely <laughs> wouldn't call. What's the point? You know. You know. I mean, I, I, I mean, a long time ago, I ran for first election in Madison when I was twenty-one years old, and that was kind of pointless. Well, so how many happened, votes did you get? Like about one percent. Well, that's still that's so a start. It's, it's what. It's what the late uh, Henry Kide called um, a youthful indiscretion. <laughs> I ran for selectman too, and I almost won. Yeah. <laughs> but that—that's yeah, another... just uh, it was kind of a waste of time. But um, I mean, there's just no point in running for office anymore, unless unless it's pointing out to people the uselessness of government politics. Then that's fine. But you know, other than that, you know, you know, people should just. Uh, we just gotta uh, 
just uh, just uh, oh, nuts. What what for? So you have a selectman form of of government there in Madison. You don't have we a do. mayor. Yeah, we have a first selectman. Yes, and that's who, that's who runs the town, more or less. Yeah, mm-hmm. no but, mayor, um, no mayor, no. Yeah. So, but you know, at the local level, I think that I found because I've I've had asked people ask me to run again as a selectman, and you know, I feel like I can be more effective as a local activist, somebody who yeah. knows the selectman, who talks with them, who who maybe the selectman grow to, to respect and trust my opinion, and then of course at, at the at the town meetings where a lot of damage could be done, I can be there to speak for or against something that might influence people to vote one way or the other, and I think. I personally feel like I can be more effective in that capacity right now than to be a selectman, where you take all yeah. these courses at Concord to how to be a selectman, what the laws and rules are, and, and then you got to sign checks once a week. And oh, come on, you know. Um, so yeah. So I think that there, so what in what way are you you feel like you can be effective in your community as as an activist? I don't know. I mean, I talk to people. I uh, I tell people my uh, my beliefs and stuff. But you know, I mean, I—I I mean, I haven't run for office in such a long time that you know I just figured it was just pointless, you know. Well, on one hand, I think the popularity of Ron Paul and and the the yeah. whole situation we have going economically now, I think people are more open to listening to alternative opinions rather than the controlled right and left, which are really the same yeah. thing. And and so the, you know, you you might be successful if that's what you the route you want to go. But I think that, that educating the public is the most important thing right now that you can do. I have, I'll ask the same I question agree. of you that I asked of uh, of uh, Gary Johnson when he called in with an interview, which, you know, Mark I, and Ian. I heard that. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember what I asked him? Oh. Uh, uh, By what now. right and authority do you think you are legitimately authorized to govern me? Very good question. You know, he was he was speaking about ought. He was the one that used the word ought. Well, anyone that's ought. taken, you know, philosophy, uh, uh, ethics of, of um, uh, philosophy, you know, uh, ethic, ethical theory would know that ought is a universal word that, that essentially is an absolute and applies to everyone. I mean, should. Yes. You should. Or, yes. or people should. Yes. One ought not to murder. One right. ought not to steal. Yeah. You know? Yes. And um, and then other things, you know, come into play that are cultural. And but those are universal truths. And so, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you would be a universal ought. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he, on one hand, said spoke of oughts, and then turned around and was talking about cost benefit analysis, which is a relativistic uh, philosophical yeah. way of thinking, where you, you know, essentially weigh the ends to justify the means. And I find that a Warrant, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so you know, we kept mentioning that he, you know, he can govern and he he's presidential and da da da. I'm like, okay, well, by what right are you going to govern me? He goes, well, you know, I am, I yeah, I am running for president. No so yeah. because you're running for president, you think that you have the right to govern me? Okay, under by what the Constitution? You think that the Constitution allows you know for you to govern yeah. anyone else? I think it's immoral. I think it's immoral to think that you can vote other people. To rule over others. Yes, exactly. That's true. And I, I mean, never signed the Constitution, so I never. <laughs> well, first of all, if you look at the President of the United States at this point, it's it's basically a a, a poodle position. 
it's it's a salesman yeah. PR type situation where the, the, the powerful special interests uh, fund both campaigns, the Democrat and the Republican, and, and then whoever wins wins for whatever reason. Who knows? But you know this this person, this chief executive, is basically yeah they are an executive. They are they run the federal government, the the corporation known as the United States of America. That's what they run. That's what their job is. But the, does that mean that they actually? Uh, are, are the president of the people of the United States? No, they're the president of that corporation. And of course, people want to no. have people want to have a king. So a lot of people want to have a king, and they want to have somebody of authority that allegedly governs things. But the, the, the truth is that you have to govern yourself. Every individual has to govern themselves. And, and the farther we get from that, the worse off we're going to be. Because when you start relying on, on uh, Big Daddy or the principal or whatever, the, the teacher, or the, the mommy or the daddy to set the rules and to uh, govern things, then, of course, you, you become a child. Right. It, it reduces you to a child and not an adult. So when people start saying, oh, well, you libertarians are just immature and, oh, really? <laughs> Do, am I the one who wants the government to be my mommy and daddy? Right. Uh, am I not the one who wants to be self-sufficient? Anyway, Good to hear from you. Great to hear yeah. from you, and I hope you call in again. Oh, this is oh, Free Talk you. Live Sunday Edition. We'll be right back. Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you call in and let us know what's on your mind. The number tonight is 603-435-1105. You can also check out our website at freetalklive.com, where we've got loads of free goodies for you. We've got the webcam when the show's going on. We've got the Shrine of Female Listeners, which I don't mind mentioning. And we've got the chat room, uh, which when the show's going on. We've got the message boards, where you can post your opinions on things. And we also have shop.freetalklive.com where you can basically go to different websites through our portal and save a bit of money if you can. And we've got Amazon.com. We've got Newegg, which I love, Michelle. I love ordering computer uh, geek components from Newegg.com. <laughs> they have great prices and reasonable My sons free told me shipping. about that. I'm, you know, I'm not a geek at all. You're not a geek at all, No. Huh? Well, somebody's has to be in the family. If you've got geeks in the family, then you're lucky. You don't have to be the geek. Absolutely. Like, I can barely even turn my computer on. And we I have also, to get naked. Really? <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was punny. Yes, it was. But it was good. <laughs> but, Michelle, I wanted to mention Porkfest because, of course, it's coming up now. It's, it's May 1st. Are you going? I'm going to try to get there for a day. It's, uh-huh. it's difficult during June because it's baseball season and my son and daughter play. I play. And between all of us, we're pretty busy running around, but I'm going to try to make it one day. I have a couple. I have a couple uh, discussions that involve ladies that I'm going to be uh, just go. So I'm just going to go out for um, one uh, a brunch and a and a lunch, <laughs> like on a Saturday or Friday, Sunday, or I think Sunday, yeah, huh? last day. Well, get ready. It's the biggest liberty oriented event in 2011, and it's happening this June 20th through the 26th. Will you be there? The Free State Project's Porcupine Freedom Festival is a week-long camping event held at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. From live performances to family fun to agorism in action, Porkfest has something for everyone who loves freedom. What are you waiting for? Be a part of the premier freedom event of 2011. Visit porkfest.com today. That's pork, P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T dot com. So, Michelle... 
We've had yes, this discussion. Wayne. Yes, Michelle. <laughs> We've had this discussion about hoarding evil people who are hoarding and right. and, and and depriving others of food and as if by stocking up for yourself somehow deprives somebody else. Right. It's the whole scarcity mentality, of course. And of course it's really just a an agenda. It's it's basically to uh, offer a pretext to go take things and pa- property from people. That's really what this is about. That's and to it, pit people against one another. Yes, to pit people, which is which governments are famous for mm-hmm. and politicians are famous for. Uh, but and unfortunately, this article goes on that we were talking about uh, from Mises.org. Unfortunately, during economic crises, the government also acquires an interest in hoarding, specifically in punishing a hoarder as unpatriotic. A historical example is the Food and Fuel Control Act, which became law in 1917 during World War I. The act's official name was an act to provide further for the national security and defense by encouraging the production, conserving the supply, and controlling the distribution of food products and fuel. In short, the government became a food dictator, and anyone possessing more than a 30-day supply of food, which was considered reasonable by Food Administrator Herbert Hoover, could be arrested. The May 30th, 1918 Best New York Times carried the headline, Navy Man Indicted for Food Hoarding. It reported on a man who invested his wife's inheritance on a year's worth of food storage. And and so they were held on $3,000 bail each, and the food was confiscated. Wow. Can you believe that? And that was back in 1918 when we had a much freer country than we do now. Think about hoarding and, and, you know, confiscating. The government can come in and confiscate your goods. They love to do that with like marijuana busts. They'll come in, they drug bust, and they confiscate all of your property and, and things. And Your DVD collection. Exactly. And, you know, if, if we want to talk about hoarding, um, I would... I would call the government the largest hoarder. What, what, the National Archives? Right. What's that? <laughs> what about all the, arc, the the warehouses full of stuff that the mm-hmm. government and the military have? Yeah. Aren't they? Is that not hoarding? Right. But they're the government. They can do what the heck they want, right? Yep. yep. Well, so they say. They say. Mm-hmm. But this Navy man's fate is a cautionary tale in more than one way. The store of food for his family was discovered because a grocer and neighbors informed upon him. Thus... A sad corollary to the wisdom of hoarding food for for your family is the need to do so with discretion. This is sad because the natural impulse of people in a community is to assist those in need. Measures like the Food and Fuel Control Act mean that sharing food with a neighbor who has hungry children is no longer simply a gesture of compassion and generosity. Such government acts make sharing into a danger to your safety and your own children's well-being. There is still time to hoard the items upon which your family needs. Prices are rising, to be sure, but the full force of inflation and shortages is probably several months into the future. Hoard now, hoard quietly. Very nice article by Wendy McElroy from MisesDaily.com. The article was posted on April 12th, if you'd like to pull that down yourself. And Michelle, you know, it also gets back to the idea that, that, you know, these people, we have these people who have the authority to take your property because you've got too much. <laughs> you know, that you've got things that other people don't have because maybe you were a little more prudent in, in preparing or seeing the future when they were. It's kind of like the three little pigs. You know, you had the, the little pig that built this house out of straw, and of course, the one who built it out of brick. 
who was a lot more uh, forward-looking. And so to, uh, to reward those who have not prepared at the expense of those who have prepared is really very unjust, wouldn't you say? It's very unjust, and, and um, but, you know, that cliche, since you like cliches, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so you've got people out there protesting. Remember that um, that woman, the video went around from YouTube uh, back when Obama first got elected. He's going to buy my gas. He's going to pay for my house payment. He's going to buy my gas. Phone bill. Yeah. Yeah. And that scared me, actually. That scared the crap out of me when I saw it. Absolutely. That. And this idea, you know, you don't hear people who have humbly come by their wealth through hard work out there banging their shovel or banging their gavel or banging their whatever. They're too busy working, you know? And so you've got people with uh, some entitlement issues. And once you know that if by just crying and whining and screaming and shouting and kicking, you're going to get your way, well, heck, why do anything other than that? You know, I have three kids and... I certainly have, have, you know, I have one who has a bit of third child syndrome, you know, I, I would tell him yes, oftentimes just, uh, just, okay. He's a middle okay. child? He's a, he's a third one. He's the youngest. Oh, he's the youngest. Okay. Ah, okay. Okay. Yes. You can have that, you know, just be quiet. Cause we're doing this with the other ones and yeah. ah, you know, and, um, and he has had some, some struggles on account of it because he suddenly then felt entitled to those things, you know, and because it was, he's, the, he's the little one. Yeah. And, and be, because no, because I gave it to him, mm. you know what I mean? And I, that was laziness on my part. It was weakness. It was, it was, you know, I, I was doing the best I could with what I had or whatever, but it was a lack of creativity on my part, you know, to, to not divert him or whatever, because I am his parent. It is my job to rear him as opposed to the government who is not supposed to be our parent. Right. In any way, but has assumed that role as people have abdicated responsibility for their own lives, and their own decisions. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, uh, Ron Paul likes to say cradle to cradle to grave. You know, if if um, you can have the village raising your child, then, you know. Well, in other words, we're, we're all on this big reservation, this this human reservation. Because yeah. if you look at the Indian reservations, how they dehumanize and, and, and uh, de, uh, disempowered the Native Americans, right? And, and then you look at the pro- the housing projects in, in the cities. Absolutely, it's the same. It's the same model. Multi generational. Yeah, it's it's the same yeah. model. And and of course, on the larger scale, you have society as a whole now. Who who you've got forty six million some odd people on food stamps. You know, in a time of, of extreme crisis, that can be useful to a point as long as you don't become dependent on it, I suppose. Even if you do believe in those things, which I don't, I think there are better ways to provide for people who don't have food or don't have a job. But uh, I just think that, that we, we've, you're right, there's so many people now, they, they want to cut spending, they want the government to leave them alone, but they want their pet program retained, whether it's Social Security or Medicare or whatever it might be. And that's the inherent problem we have. And I, and I personally believe, Michelle, that the only thing that's going to fix all this is, is a big crash of the entire system. I think it's, it's I think going it to could point- go one way or the other. I think, you know, okay, so it crashes. I think it could result in absolute fascist dictatorship yes, or could. greater freedom. And it requires that people act with self-reliance and principled liberty ideas. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, and they and they become brave and they they uh, try to take care of themselves wherever they can. We'll be back uh, for the third hour of Free Talk Live Sunday edition. Wayne and Michelle, give us a call six zero three four three five. The Ruger LC9, compact, powerful, and perfect for personal protection. The LC9 is only slightly larger than the popular Ruger LCP. Features a checkered grip frame to provide a secure and comfortable grip and includes a finger grip extension floor plate. The LC9 also has a dovetailed high-visibility three-dot sight system, blued alloy steel barrel, manual safety, and loaded chamber indicator. The LC9, another innovative American-made product from Ruger. Learn more about the Ruger LC9 at ruger.com LC9. Welcome back to the third and final hour of the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you call and let us know what's on your mind, and you take over the airwaves. The number to reach us tonight is 603-435-1105. Make sure you know your your phone's calling plan, because we wouldn't want you to get hit with unnecessary charges that you weren't aware you were going to get. And this evening, with you tonight is Wayne. And Michelle. Yes, Michelle. (laughs) <laughs> She's here, and we have a call. We've got Sam on the line, by the way, from Texas. Hello, Sam. It's you're, you're hey, online you with. How you doing? Hi, Sam Dotson. Sam. <laughs> so um, I just logged in to uh, uh, check the silver price on the international market, and there's quite a big drop off. It dropped like uh, a little over five dollars. It looks like, or pretty close to it, uh, just right at the open. And it's been climbing since then, but this uh, is something that I've been kind of looking for that came out of something called the WebBot Report. Yes, that's and right. And, Michelle, this is something that Wayne got me hooked on a while ago. He's like, hey, have you heard of this WebBot thing? Right. Um, and so it, it basically, there's this guy, Cliff High, and just I'll give a short recap here. He um, He does data mining. He goes out, captures blog posts and comments and news stories and all kinds of things from the Internet and has developed sort of a way to peer into the future. Um, And the idea is that we're all a little bit aware of this and maybe have different words that leak out with different emotional values that sort of indicate uh, something that may be around the corner. And by looking at the whole of the Internet sort of in this aggregate form... And the changes in language... Yeah, because a lot of times when someone's yeah, when someone's word theoretically when somebody's words that they use change, it can indicate a change in consciousness, which also can change how things manifest. And and obviously he's developed the system. I guess when they first developed it, they did it to try to predict the stock market, and looked at the data and found out that it seemed to predict other things besides the stock market. And uh, to get back. Sun Microsystems and found out that it was predicting all these changes in the sun, which turned out to be, I think, accurate. Right. And one of the, one of the so-called temporal markers has been, he had mentioned, was going to be $5 swings per ounce in the price of silver, which we're just about upon right now. And and that would indicate that, that something big is, is coming. And there have been some big things. Actually, remember the tipping point thing that happened, uh, and there was supposed to be a day in January, I think he had mentioned it was January 7th or 8th, and right that was the day or day after, day before, the shooting in, in Tucson of, of the congresswoman. Do you remember mm-hmm. that one, Sam? I do, and it's also in one of the reports talked about uh, ill winds 
that would uh, circle the globe nine times. And oh, I thought you were talking about gas. Million people. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, that's right. They all there. In fact, what's what that's bringing up is the Fukushima disaster, which I don't know if it's kind of fallen off in the press, but the situation over there just keeps getting worse by the day. Mm-hmm. It turns out they were off in their calculations of the radiation by a factor of 10. Uh, they were, they scaled it up in nine months, and uh, now they're not even sure if that's a realistic date for them to get what they call containment. And there's all kinds of radioactive isotopes uh, getting across, making its way over to the United States, really around the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, radiation levels are coming up in milk, and uh, you know it's getting into everything, even the water. The food chain, place. the water. And there are people, the pundits on TV are saying, well, you know, you, if you get an x-ray or you go on a plane ride, you're being exposed to radiation. <laughs> no, it's not the same thing. When you're ingesting radioactive fallout, it stays in your body. In most cases, and, yeah, and it's a highly, I eat highly chlorophyll. Toxic. Well, chlorophyll they say <laughs> and blue can be algae. helpful. Yes, they say saunas can help to mm-hmm. to get it out, which is true. Yeah. So, but go ahead, Sam. An article that there was an article that came out from I think Natural News that suggested uh, iodine, typically preferably in the natural form, like seaweed or kelp, like Michelle's taking, uh, but also uh, bentonite clay, which will help pull the detoxify your system and pull heavy metals out and the radioactive isotopes and also something called zeolites, I believe, and that that's what they recommend people taking because clearly we're not getting the truth about this. In fact, the EPA has responded to this by proposing to raise the maximum safe radiation levels Doesn't that kill you? from where they are now. <laughs> a hundred thousand times in some cases twenty five thousand for some isotopes it's just, it's insane i mean it's it's really insane yeah the, their only solution um, is to raise the allowable limits of radiation that's that's crazy that way the mainstream media can come out and say oh no no people this is safe yes. the government's you know it's well below the government's safe levels and they're not going to tell the people that well they just raised them by 25,000 times mm-hmm. so you know i think it's something people should pay attention to and and really just make sure you're taking vitamins and and uh you know cho- making healthy choices when it comes to your diet so forth. But let's get back to that uh, $5 silver. Uh, <laughs> you mean the $5 drop? Silver is... Swing, yeah, so you're saying price. it's now around or what, 41 or something? $5 price swings in one day. There was yeah. actually a temporal marker right before that that was supposed to be um, uh, houses getting bulldozed, which happened last week that were empty and they weren't able to sell them or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that happened. And then we've seen two, this... We've had a $4.20 swing, and I think this is the first $5 day. And he's always described it happening where you get $5 days, and then you start getting $20 days, and then the price of silver goes to the 400 where it will sit for three to four months. And that's when the masses really awaken to the fact that silver really is money and that its precious metals are valuable. And then after that, it tends to go off into the stratosphere. But you'd be kind of crazy to trade it in for worthless paper fiat at that point because we'd be in a currency collapse. And so that may be, you know, it's, things are kind of lining up with what's in his report, and that may be what's coming down the pike. So this $5 drop, if this holds, this may be one of the, the last few chances for people out there to buy silver before it really gets out of let, a lot of people's 
Let me Hi, ask Trish. you something, Sam, you know, because we were talking about hoarding for one, and we were also talking about the... Um, uh, Government's uh, response. The, yeah, the, the plunge protection, you know, team and everything. So mm-hmm. where does this um, WebBot... Is that The WebBot project, the WebBot. yes. Okay, so how does that... How do they... If, okay, so if things are kind of predetermined, then how do things like government intervention... Um, synchronize with all that you know because well for one michelle it's not predetermined uh it can change at any time it's just i do think that things in life are predetermined much like a river all rivers flow into the ocean sure but you can have but they but they have meandering paths but they you know inevitably all go to the ocean cliff talks about uh every time that he looks at the data it changes it and of course the more people that see it the more the future will change and and there are things, you know, the governments are reading his report and taking a look at it, and he's come across uh, Chinese servers that he scanned that were actually doing the same thing he was doing. So the other governments out there may actually be using the same technology in some capacity. So they're actively looking and doing things to change it. So it, it is kind of hard to pin it down perfectly, but I think, like you said, all rivers are going to flow into the ocean. Eventually we'll get in the same general direction. Yeah, they they kind of refer to it jokingly as a rickety time machine and and even if you buy the report for $10 on their website, you know, they tell you that this is not necessarily an empowering thing. We can't promise, you know, that this data is going to be accurate, but mm-hmm. but sometimes it's interesting because there are things in there that do correlate if you look in the future because of the language people use now because the assumption is that all people I guess you could say are inherently psychic, I don't know what you want to call it, but they're just... Intuitive? They're intuitive and, and they give away prescient clues in some of their language. And so when people's language changes, for example, five years ago, how many people were talking about the word depression? And all of a sudden... that's or the Federal that, Reserve. Or, exactly. All those things now are Me? becoming more... <laughs> well, but, but, well, right. And so, you're so, special, well, no, no, but yeah. that, would, that is what we would call in socio... Not socioeconomics, but socionomics. We would call them early adapters. Yeah. And then there are the weak hands. You yeah. know that. Sam, let's bring you back. Extremes. We're going. We're going, and we'll be right back with Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you take control. Give us a call. And it's Sam, Wayne, and Michelle. Yes, Sam, Wayne, and Michelle. <laughs> that's right. Sam first. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you call it and take control. The Sunday night edition phone number is 603-435-1105. Let us know what's on your mind. And with you this evening is Wayne. And Michelle. And somebody else. Sam. And Sam. Sam, Sam. I am. Sam, I am. I don't like green eggs and ham, but I like Sam. And we were talking about the WebBot project. And Sam, you know what's really really fun and interesting is the disclaimer at the beginning of the reports. For the last one, it says, This forecast is real. A person would still be an idiot to make decisions based solely upon their interpretation of my interpretation of strange data patterns. Universe rewards thinking. Everyone should try it for themselves at least once. Now would be a good time. It does not hurt as much as you might think. Okay, so thinking actually does hurt a bunch, but still, you must do it. The times demand some cogitation. 
Try to avoid groupthink, though. It is a poor substitute for personal individual thinking and has proven to be fattening, filled with empty calories of no nutritional value and causes much stinky gas to vent from the mouth. That's the kind of character Cliff High is, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, the web bot's not really the only thing that I look at. It's, yes, exactly. It's something that's really kind of springboarded me into a bunch of different areas um, I've, you know, I've heard the four to six hundred dollar. That's the number that I sort of give people of where I believe silver's going or where I think it's going. Well, when you consider and, uh, that comes from. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say when you oh, consider that comes from. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> when you consider that that Jeffrey Christian, a guy with a CPM group, right. testified that there's at least a hundred ounces of paper silver for every real ounce of silver on the COMEX. That would mean that the market for silver has been kind of naive and that there's actually a lot less real silver than they say. And the market is starting to react to that. And word has it that there's that the Asians, the Chinese especially, are massively buying gold and silver right now, physical. You got the story about the University of Texas endowment that bought a million I'm sorry, a billion dollars worth billion. Of, of of gold. That they took delivery of it, their gold bars. It shows you that the market is starting to wake up to that fact, and that's why. Yeah, and just looking at the just looking at the physical delivery numbers from the U.S. Mint, from the people demanding uh, physical silver out of the Comex at the delivery months, I, people are waking up to the fact that the paper game is is going to end up biting them, and they're taking delivery, they're taking possession of physical silver, and getting it off the market. And it's such a small market that. Yeah, I think a lot of the, the, the predictions and things that the WebBot sees are absolutely possible and, and probably very likely. Yeah. I've read the reports on and off for several years now, and I have seen a lot of things in, in the reports that ended up coming up true, even if sometimes they, the, uh, something might appear in the data for a while but nothing happens. For example, the oil mm-hmm. volcano thing that was up for a while, and then, of course, you had that oil spill thing down in the Gulf last year, which kind of would qualify for, as an oil volcano. But again, it's not, it doesn't mean that everything they say is true on there. It just means that, that that's what they, they see in the data. And sometimes it manifests, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it manifests relatively quickly. Sometimes it takes several years or months. Right. And one of the other things that's really, uh, that has stood out for me is all of the predictions of the weather and so forth. Uh, there's, Cliff has this theory, which at its onset, the first time I heard it, I thought, now that is crazy. And it's that the Earth is, in fact, uh, a sphere that grows, and that it's not this spinning core of nickel uh, and and heavy metals at the center of the Earth creating the magnetic field, but it's instead a plasma core that's, in fact, doing the reverse E equals MC squared conversion of uh, matter to energy, but instead taking energy that it might receive from, say, a solar flare coming off of the sun and convert that back to, to matter and feed it up from the core of the Earth, causing the planet to, in fact, expand. And if you go to YouTube, there's uh, you can just type in expanding Earth, and you'll get this Neil Adams guy who put these videos together that shows some pretty compelling evidence. If people haven't watched that, I would invite them to... Uh, to do that. And it's just, it's fascinating the way he kind of lays out his case. Well, there are, there are a lot the, of, there are a lot of memes that are out there. For example, the whole idea of fossil fuels as if oil is, is uh, based on dinosaur fossils and that's where it comes from when there's a relatively new theory called the abiotic theory of oil, where oil is constantly mm-hmm. being produced 
lower in lower uh, levels of the earth and it gets pushed up through the sand and rock and then if you and now they've shown that a lot of times when they cap these oil wells 20 30 years later there's a lot of oil in there again that's right yeah i don't think it, you know it's just another the whole oil scam is just another way to control the masses by uh, getting them hooked on this energy with Centralized, all the technology yeah. and things that come out of it. And then, yeah, pretending that there's a shortage so that they can control the market and control the prices and uh, affect all of our lives in and, and, uh, far more ways than I think we realize. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because if you look at the energy situation in this world, you've got basically nuclear power. There's been a lot of talk over the Fukushima disaster about nuclear power. Is it safe? Is it not? Well, Consider this, that nuclear power is heavily uh, subsidized by governments all over the world. That it's not really, uh, it's not operating in a free market. It's, it's a highly centralized control, controlled form of, of, of energy. That, and then, of course, oil is also another highly centralized and uh, government-helped, subsidized in some cases, form of energy. And that they really don't want energy production to become decentralized because then they lose control over it. They lose control of the people, too. Uh, cheap energy creates prosperity. Expensive energy causes problems. So I, I would say the, the answer to a lot of these issues is, is to really get into decentralized energy production where you, you produce your own power, then you can push out any excess over the grid and other people can use it if they don't have enough. I really think that's a more viable model, although right now we have to get there. So the existing, the existing plants we have, we have to continue to use. If we had a model where I could uh, go buy one of the modern reactors, uh, all of the, the Fukushima, those were designs from the 40s and 50s. That's right. And, you know, nowadays there, there's no chance of a modern pebble bed reactor overheating like these do. Mm-hmm. You can pretty much bury them in the ground. It'll power an entire neighborhood for decades. And it's trouble maintenance-free. And it's about as simple as you can get. And if I could bury something like that and then start providing power for my neighbors. Uh, I could interconnect with other local power generators, and we would eventually get to something more like the World Wide Web, which rarely ever goes down completely. I don't think it ever has. Instead of this grid where you have the command and control structure sanctioned by governments around the world. Well, that's exactly it, uh, Sam, because when the internet is designed so that if one portion goes down, another portion could take over. So it, it, it's it's kind of like a river just rerouting itself if, if it gets blocked in, in a way. And, and, and if it's decentralized, whereas the power grid is centralized, and inherently that becomes the problem because then uh, somebody can, so, so a so-called terrorist can take out a nuclear power plant or, or even a gas power, power plant, and, and the whole area goes black for weeks or months because they don't have an alternative. So, you know... Uh, I'm I'm all for uh, di- disruptive technologies, and that's what it's going to take to free us from these uh, these centralized solutions, which which are suboptimal at best. Yep, and I think you know the process that we're going to go through is unfortunately a pretty catastrophic collapse here. But I think that's what's necessary to sort of purge all of the corruption and the. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the, the greed and waste and everything else. As the Hawaiians say, God's great toilet flush. Yes, <laughs> Sam, we'll bring you right back. I'll put you on hold and we'll be right back with Sam on the Sunday night edition of. Welcome, welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you take over the airways and call in and let us know what's on your mind. 
It's Sunday night, of course, and the number is 603-435-1105. And with you tonight is Wayne. And Michelle. And who else? And Sam. And Sam. Nice. And, And Sam is with us tonight. And, of course, only appropriate since... He and I did this show originally uh, for a while, and of course, he's down in Texas now. So we always love to hear from him, and we definitely miss him. Yes, we definitely yeah, miss, I you, miss Sam. you, Sam. Do you really? He I wouldn't do. say that, I Michelle, unless he well, meant it. Come on, you know. Are you going to come up for Pork Fest? No, I'm not coming to Pork Fest, but I'm loving watching all the videos of. Uh, I saw the Ware Police thing where they brought. Pizza. The, the cops yes. actually ordered pizzas for the activists. I yeah. thought that was hilarious. Yeah, and wasn't, wasn't I'm hearing great? about all the laws and things that the uh, the political folks have uh, are getting pushed through. Sounds like some of them are getting cannibalized, but mm-hmm. that's I guess part of their whole right. deal. And uh, <laughs> Pete, Pete, and Ademo are getting ready to go back on do a Liberty on tour, like thing around uh, Local, New Ham- around New Hampshire yep, yep around New Hampshire and that's pretty cool and we've got the uh free keen TV where we're, we've started taping and we're about to go live with that soon and JJ's been the producer of that and that's really come along and will that be and, pre-recorded Michelle or um, live it's, it's going to be live eventually but Faisal uh my son actually was really helpful with the lighting thank you Sam Dodson for <laughs> the endless hours of of uh of lighting that you showed him but, but um I mean it, it made all the difference I mean we went from having like three, does, yeah. three lights on tracks to 12 lights and, and with lamp stands and light stands and etc and it's, it's really going to be great mm-hmm. I'm really excited, and it, I think it's really going to come together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot rocking and rolling here. Yep. So we, we yeah, were, lighting makes all the difference. Sorry, Wayne, go ahead. I was going to say, we were, we were talking with you, Sam, earlier about, uh, of course, the WebBot project and some of the happenings in, in the markets, the world markets. And I want to get back to that because I know a lot of listeners really enjoy hearing about our opinion on these things. And, of course, Michelle, being a, a trader, mm-hmm. has, has got some insights as well. Because she tries to trade. Who's been losing her patootie, which it was fine because, you know, I, I, I didn't want to show any income because I'm kind of trying to, you know, like stay under the radar yeah, <laughs> a little I, bit. I, I doubt that, Michelle. I doubt you're staying. <laughs> but, you know, it was funny, Michelle. We were talking about taxes last time we were on the show together. And I, I realized something. I came to a realization in talking to you about, about the whole tax thing. And I think if you, if you look back in the 1930s when FDR had hiked the tax rate to 90 93%, and suddenly all the big Hollywood actors would only do one picture a year because they didn't want to work for free, you know, giving all their money over 100000 to the government. And so you think about all those gaffers and all those writers and all those other people, lesser actors mm-hmm. who might have been day players, whatever, who didn't work because that actor only did one picture a year rather than three or four. Right. And, and in a sense, that's kind of what I do. I actually yeah. have, have uh, live a very uh, low lifestyle where, you know, I just, I just get by on, on less money than the average person probably does. And I just work enough to pay the bills and, and I don't mm-hmm. go out and start a company and hire That's people because absolutely it's, right. to me, it's a risk there's reward a dis- thing. There's a disincentive to do so yeah. when the government's standing there right there saying, no, I'm, thank you, January through May. I mean, just think people that pay income taxes have one more month of working before they can start earning even one penny of their own money. Yeah, because, because it's, it's, a, it's a risk-reward thing. And if you think about the fact that, you know, if you're going to ri- risk your time, your effort, uh, capital in creating a business. Now, if you fail, of course, you lose it all. 
if you if you gain if you become successful then you want to be able to keep you know uh, the fruits of your labor and and your innovation and when all of a sudden some big bully comes in and says no i want most of that then wh- why bother why you know why bother and so well, and the sad part is no, most of them don't even see it that way wayne they're they they think they're lucky because they've been told this is the freest country in the world that has more prisoners by number and per capita than china uh, they think that they're free because somebody told government agents who uh, indoctrinated them for 12 years in what they call the public school system have told them this is the freest country in the world and the best system out there. It was. And I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at it saying, really? I mean, because the U.S. has worked, worked out so well here with all the debt and the corruption and the corporations going wild and, you know, the fascism that's developing. And it just goes on and on. And. Uh, it's. I mean, the, but try try to convince people who are you know call themselves patriots that this is not yeah. the home of the free, land of the brave, or home of the brave, brave land of the free, whatever. Da 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 da. And because even you know even when you point out precise examples of how people just do not have civil liberties here, you don't own your property, you don't own yourself, you don't own your body, you don't own your children. Yeah, when you buy a home or property, all you do really is you just have the right to transfer the title. You don't really own the property. That's uh, with the vehicle and, or anything I, else. Yes. And, and, you know, and of I co- look at, Go ahead. Go ahead I, I look at it as the sort of the Titanic analogy, um, and that's really where we are. We've hit the iceberg. There's this gaping hole in the side of the ship. You've got the masses down in the third class locked away, you know, sitting in the room thinking, oh, you know, they'll let us out soon. Uh, you've got some people, uh, the constitutionalists up there on the deck saying, all right, now we need to take these chairs over here and move them around, and then we need to elect a new committee to sit in these chairs over here, and then they'll decide how to fix this problem, and we'll get us back to to sailing again. It, and, you know, I'm like, hey, it's time to head for the lifeboats, people. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, that goes back to what we were talking about, though, in terms of, I don't know if you heard the the first hour of the show, but we were talking about hoarding and an article that was written by um, Wendy McElroy McElroy. on on Mises.org. And how, you know, inevitably, you know, the the government is going to claim that hoarding is illegal and whether the conscription acts or whatever or of um, confiscation acts of Lincoln or when FDR declared gold to be, you know, the ownership of gold basically to be legal, et cetera. And then Wayne mentioned the, the couple who was arrested for how long? 18 years or something like that? Uh, they were put in jail. I, I don't have the article right in front of me, but they were put in jail and fined because they had uh, stocked up on food at a time during World War One when it was illegal and immoral, supposedly, to do these things by in the eyes of the government. And, of course, uh, it was really a great investment, if you think about it, when you have rising food prices to uh, right. stock up on some things that are expensive now, but you know they're going to go higher. And if you, even right now, if you look at, at some of the food production that's gone offline just do, in Japan, for example. you know. Um, and also the Walmart CEO came out last month and said uh, inflation is going to be a serious problem. Mm-hmm. And then this month he came out and said our core customer base is running out of money. Yes, Sales I saw are that. plummeting towards the end of the month, mm-hmm. which means the poor people are only able to get in there in the first of the month and buy groceries because 
you know, everything is higher because it's all based on the petrol dollar and it, mm-hmm. and, and it's the dollar that's in fact losing value. They're just, they don't have enough money to buy food or the extra clothes and things. So that's a pretty sobering uh, statement, I think, that people should really pay attention to. And even out here in the middle of the country, my mom has this conservative book club that she goes to with all these old ladies and they were talking about a, a World War II book where uh, there was an invasion and food was hard to come by and so forth. And she brought up, well, you know, I, this may be coming here in some regards. And and one of the other ladies in this club here out in the middle of nowhere said, yeah, we know that. I've got six months of food stored up and I'm working on uh, pushing that out to a year. So hopefully, you know, there's things that you can do now, like if you know you're going to use something like toilet paper or toothpaste, and it's not going to go bad. You can buy that stuff, protect yourself from inflation. And if it doesn't come to to be true, you know, you, you just use it anyway. So right. if you have the room, it's it's a good idea to go out, get some of those things, make sure you've got food, water, and basic uh, necessities. And the, But the price trends right now are going up. Now, at any time, they could withdraw some of this excess liquidity from the market. And well, Sam, let's, we'll bring you back. But um, I, I want to talk about a little bit about uh, what's going on with, with other prices, the prices that you don't necessarily think too much about. So we'll be back with Sam for the final segment, Free Talk Live Sunday Edition. Welcome back to the final segment of the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you take control, only moments remain, and tonight it's Wayne, and Michelle, and of course, and Sam, who's with us tonight for the final hour, and we've been talking about a variety of subjects, whatever seems to suit our fancy, but uh, Sam, we were talking about, you know, the speculation in the the stock market and the... um, uh, the commodities market, and Michelle was mentioning that that she's short the market and how the stock market should be going down, but isn't. And why don't you explain that to her a little bit? I, well, I think the market's uh, going up because of all of this QE money that uh, keeps getting pumped in to sort of keep it going. And I think in the next um, few months, just like uh, last year when they talked about the green shoots and the numbers started to improve a little bit. Well, that was the first uh, quantitative easing, the bailout money hitting the marketplace, and then you get that three- to six-month delay before uh, it has any impact. And I think now we're going to see another bump. Uh, but the problem is every time they do a, another bailout or quantitative easing, whatever they want to call it, they have to go bigger, you know, like they're mm-hmm. hitting the gas and the car's not going as fast yeah. as Declining results every time. Uh, I guess you call it the law of diminishing marginal returns in action here. We have this financial tsunami heading towards the U.S. that's just going to encapsulate. Yeah, it's it's really going to do some damage, but it's something that needs to happen. And we can sit here. You hear the Democrats talking about, oh, we. Ron Paul had a point about that, actually, Sam. Do you remember that when he would talk about um, the fact that, you know, if we 
if the governments would remove their their hands from mm-hmm. the um, the economic system, that it would be allowed to expand and contract in a healthy manner, um, right. much like a heartbeat does, you know, mm-hmm. and and you know, the fact that there's been this intervention is going to make it so much more extreme than it would otherwise. Yeah, and, and yeah, since, every, the, yeah, since the yeah. bailouts and the quantitative easing of 2007, 2008, when the system really wanted to deflate and collapse, instead they've bailed out these two big-to-fails, which are still insolvent, really, technically, but they've just held them over for a little while longer but wasted a lot of, of, of funny money on it. And they're they're constantly going in the stock market with the plunge protection team, intervening and trying to prop up the stock market because of the so-called wealth effect where when people feel wealthier because their stocks have been going up in in value, for example, that they'll spend more money. It's a Keynesian uh, tenant, and I don't happen to agree with it in the long term. Yeah, and with every action that they take to try and change things, all they're doing is adding to the height of that tsunami that's on its way. Right. So, you know, we can do things, we can sort of take it now and just stop this nonsense but instead, you have the Democrats who are going out and saying, well, if these Republicans, you know, play in, in the red-blue paradigm, of course, if these Republicans don't raise the debt ceiling, it's going to be catastrophe. It, when the truth is, if, if, these, if this government keeps spending this money, it's going to result in hyperinflation, which will be far, far worse than, you know, a default right now would be. Yes. And, and I don't, you know, that, that's not getting out in the mainstream media, and it's, it's a shame. Yeah, and then, you know, people always talk about the Great Depression, which was largely deflationary and, and a deflationary collapse, and then they don't talk oh. about the, the the Depression of 1920-21 after World War One ended, right. where they basically just didn't intervene. They just let it go where yep. it wanted to go. And it lasted it was, less than a year. Yeah, well, 12 to 18 months it was, it was uh, turned around, but it was uh, because they allowed all uh, the people who deserve to be go bankrupt, go bankrupt. They allowed the bad debt to be liquidated. And from it grew a new economy. It's it's just like a change in the seasons. But to try yeah, to extend summer, go ahead. The only difference today is we have all of these additional regulations, and so they would have to roll back some of the controls and the agencies and the things Ron Paul talks about. Because, Bad chance, though. You know, even if if Ford Motor Company went out of business and everybody was able to go in and buy all of their uh, you know manufacturing equipment and so forth. We wouldn't have five new car companies pop up because they have such ridiculous regulations and things. It takes incredible amounts of money to get into some of these industries because of the government interference. And you have to take that out of the equation as well. And then, yeah, allow the free market to really spring back and do what it does best, which is let individuals get out there and compete with each other to come up with the best product or service that the market's willing to pay for. Well, look at GM and Chrysler did go bankrupt. And of course, there were all these justifications made for bailing them out. But I remember reading a story here on Free Talk Live about a year before that happened. It was the LA, I believe it was the LA Auto Show. And and actually, GM and Chrysler had basically lobbied the, the, the show uh, uh, producers to not allow this company from Washington State to, to exhibit in the show because they had developed a much better way to develop a um, or, or to uh, engineer a hybrid where they had an SUV that was getting 150 miles per gallon, a small SUV, mm-hmm. because they used capacitors mm-hmm. to store the power that was being made and 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 they could they were just more efficient than GM or Chrysler or even Ford's uh, hybrid uh, car uh, you know technology. Well, isn't that much what, like what, what happened with diesel, with the, the diesel engine, you know, that it 
didn't require the uh, the oil. Right. It was originally uh, engineered to run on vegetable oil. Yeah. Because of, yeah, because the developer of the diesel, uh, I believe his name was Diesel. Yes. He he foresaw a time when when uh, maybe petroleum might be in short supply, and that he developed this engine to run on vegetable oil, and of course they adapted it to run on petroleum. Uh, oil as well. well Petroleum is not biodegradable, whereas vegetable oil is. Yes. <laughs> it's still going on today, too. There's Tata Motors out of India, which created this uh, car that runs on compressed air. And it gets, I think it's like 200 miles to the gallon. No, it's, it's very small. It's one of those little tiny cars. It, it would be good for buzzing around town. It's probably not the safest thing out there. Mm-hmm. But they can't sell that on the U.S. market because it won't meet all of the safety standards set out by the government. Mm-hmm. But yet, if you want to, you can sit on top of an engine between two wheels called a motorcycle and ride around with no helmet on. Yes, I can. And, yes. <laughs> and literally take the same risks as you would in this car. So that's just protectionism. That's just ensuring the oil companies get to keep uh, controlling the American people. And it, it's just another example of how the U.S. government has really turned into one of fascism. Well, right. And fascism, by definition, is is the marriage or the merger of state and corporate power. And, of course, that's been creeping up on us for a long time as we watch more and more of our industries in this country become cartelized by by these big, big corporations where they don't allow people to compete with them. And they've got pricing power and they've got, uh, you know, look at the healthcare industry. People are always talking, well, the government needs to take care of healthcare. Well, they're already heavily into healthcare with with a couple of their pet corporations and industries um, who who steal most of the money between the doctor patient relationship. The doctors are making less and less money all the time. A lot of them are leaving medicine because they're not being compensated the way they once were. And when you bust your tail the way a doctor does to go through your internship and staying up all night and you study really hard, you you know, and of course the student loan thing. Look at how much money people spend just going to medical school. Um, they, they should be paid well for, for to be healers. Yeah, and it's just like the 90% tax rate. The harder you make it for people, the less incentive they are to uh, pursue that career or pursue their dreams. And, you know, in this the, the, this country was supposed to be set up in a way that people could come here, could live the life they want. If they're not harming other people, they, they were supposed to have the freedom and the liberty to pursue their dreams, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it just... Boy, it's taken a, a, quite the departure from that. But I think uh, you would probably agree with me that I think we can get back to that because it's still... I in, don't want to get back to that. Well, I mean, I mean, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, freedom, liberty, those things, which are, are still on the coins. You know, the, the words are there. And I think in the, in the unconscious... So is in God we trust. Yes, exactly. I, well... But, but that's, it's up to you whether you want to, you want to do I, that. Uh, I, I think I, we're... Yeah, go ahead. I, I think governments have been around for a reason because people, society, where we were as the human race needed uh, governments in there because we just couldn't comprehend how we would do things without this central authority. But I think the Internet is sort of giving life to this global consciousness, and we're going to see a real awakening. And the WebBot report, in fact, talks about the, the sovereignty movement sort of being the way things go, that, that the uh, the large centralized powers sort of fold up and go away and, and lose their dominance over the people. And instead, what you end up with is smaller, more local, regional 
government. Sure, if people want to exert and- their if people want to exert their autonomy and independence and and be able to accept responsibility for their behaviors and the consequences of their actions and that's absolutely possible but unless there's a radical you know change in people's thought process then um yeah i think the potential for us to have greater tyranny and oppression is also available at the end of that revolution well the situation could could facilitate that you know we're going to be forced to make some changes and that that, that'll do it tonight for the sunday night edition of free Are you ready to explore New Hampshire, meet more than a thousand freedom-loving friends, and experience the free market in action? You can do all of these things and more at the Free State Project's 2011 Porcupine Freedom Festival at Rogers Campground in beautiful Lancaster, New Hampshire. Porkfest has games, hikes, live music, dance parties, fun activities for kids, and even state-free weddings. And of course, Porkfest features the famous Agora Valley, where the free market thrives. You won't want to miss speakers like Stefan Molyneux and Janiel Shulman, but the best part of Porkfest is being surrounded by more than a thousand like-minded, freedom-loving friends. The fun begins on June 20th, 2011, and doesn't stop until the 26th. Porkfest 2011 is the biggest liberty-oriented event in the world. This year, you can be a part of it. Don't miss out. Visit Porkfest.com today. That's P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T dot com. Use coupon code FREETALKLIVE, all one word, for 20% off.